movie podcast from the nerds who haunted themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine, and each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. For this episode, I'm joined by writer and poet Jailen Salah to discuss the 2001 Car Wide classic, In the Mood for Love. Whether you're a regular listener or joining us for the first time, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy the film talk, and and as always, if you feel like doing so, you can keep, a, keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the And Why Not Facebook group, or wherever you see this episode posted. A quick note in advance, usually I add clips from the film to, into the episode, but as it's a foreign language film there's n- and there's no subtitle option for audio, I've decided not to include them this time. I have, however, decided to include the trailer for the film, just so you can get a feel for it, although hopefully you'll have seen the film before listening to this episode. And now, with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. Hello, Jay. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Stuart? I'm fine. Thank you. Ticking on, ticking on. Uh, really enjoyed the excuse to rewatch this movie. Um, uh, so, yeah, but uh, yeah. How about yourself? How's your day been? Well, it's been okay. Blah, blah, blah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Except before, I think that's standard days now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, standard days are gone, my friend. I know. Still. But yeah, it's uh, plenty to do. I suppose, but yeah. Um, how's the uh, writing and everything going? Any poetry, 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 I and of you... course, self criticism articles. But I'm yeah. I'm writing poetry every day. It's a very creative time for me. Although it's a terrible time for me, as in professional wise, but as a creative, as far as creative goes, it's perfect. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of being creative. As long as you've got a pen and a paper or something, you can. So I like I like to draw. That's my creative outlet. Oh, I know. Uh... I write. Uh, I used to, I mean, I write a little bit because I wrote my own stories to then draw into comics, but <laughs> not not so much anymore. I used to, like, yeah. my hobby used to be sitting and writing film scripts that nothing ever happened with, but I just, it gets it out of your system. <laughs> I know I will write my film script someday, but not now at all. Probably when I'm in my 40s or 50s or something. Yeah. Well, I've accumulated I mean... enough experience. <laughs> Well, I think that's the problem with my early film scripts is that I was doing it based on shit I'd watched in other films. So. <laughs> so I'd not lived anything, but <laughs> <laughs> but still. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, so speaking of film scripts, <laughs> a 
again with i'd like to call this my bury the lead into the thing that everybody knows what we're talking about because they'll see the little icon or the uh title of the episode but but yeah um we're talking about in the mood for love um which was written and directed by Wong Kar Wai, starring Tony Leung and Maggie Chung. Um, released in cinemas on the 9th of March 2001 in the US and on the 27th of October in 2000 in the UK, so we got it first. Um, I'm not sure when it was released in Egypt. I uh, didn't think to look, actually. Sorry. Yeah, I should have looked into that. I should have looked into that, honestly. Yeah, I will find it out before the end of the episode. Um <laughs> Grossed fourteen million two hundred and two thousand six hundred twenty-five dollars worldwide on an unknown budget, according to IMDb. I couldn't find a list for the budget anywhere. Um, right, just gonna have to swap the screen. Sorry. And Roger Ebert gave the film three stars out of four, saying the movie is physically lush. Deep, uh, the deep colors of film noir saturate the scenes: reds, yellows, browns, deep shadows. The most ingenious device in the story is the way Chow and Sue play acting imaginary scenes between the cheating spaces. Instead of asking us to identify with the couple as an adult, uh, as an American film would, Wong asks us to empathise with them. Uh, that is a uh, that is a higher and more complex assignment with greater rewards. And um, as per usual, I could not find a review by Barry Norman, so I don't have one of those to go with. Um, but yeah, I think I've I mean I've cobbled that Roger Ebert little snippet together from three separate things within his um, review. Um, but I think he's sort of on the money on that one i know when they did the episode with um it was him and roper and roper didn't like the film at all which is just bizarre uh complained it was too much scenes of them sitting and eating and not saying anything uh which i think is the great stuff in it personally but but yeah um sort of before we get into the film what are your memories of first seeing it okay well it's this part of my life where I became a film critic and I just met all these cool film critics here in Egypt and they gave me their DVDs. They gave me all their, you know, like these um, hard drives with all these movies and you should watch porn movies. You should expand your viewership. And I'm like, okay guys. And then this one person gives me this movie will change your life based on your taste. And I know you will like it. And I'm like, okay. And I watch it alone on my laptop very late at night. And I just, I couldn't fathom what I was watching. It just shook me to the core. I felt like something was happening to me. This cannot be real cinema. And I fell in love with it. And I, I remember talking to my boyfriend the next day, like, I just watched this movie. And he's like, ah, in the mood for love. Are you kidding me? I don't know what this movie does for you guys. It does nothing for me. And I knew at the time we're not on the same page. And really, the relationship ended, you know, like a year later, because something happened to me this movie moved something in me and he it didn't move anything in him i felt like there was no connection this movie connected me on an emotional level yeah in a way that i don't think a movie before it did maybe afterwards yeah but this was the first movie that made me feel like cinema could be much more than just a film with scenes and dialogue and you know all the things that we get taught that this is what makes a movie yeah and i just fell in love yeah, no, I um I discovered it off the back of on BBC News over here. They had a film program called Talking Movies, and they were doing a piece on twenty forty six, and I thought that film looked stunning, so I couldn't wait for it to come out. And then when it came out on DVD, it was in a double pack with In the Mood for Love. Yeah. Um, so I watched twenty forty six and was like, yeah, it's all right. Quite liked it. Watched In the Mood for Love, absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and then that led me on a rabbit hole down 
digging out other Wong Kar Wai films. Um, Me too. I think this and Chunking Express, I absolutely adore those two films. They're like the top. Um, but yeah, and um, and probably the two I've watched the most, actually. I've seen all the others, but nothing, I mean, they're all great, but those are the two that really stuck out for me. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a weird film in some ways in that it's, you get snippets of a life rather than it doesn't, it's not like a linear thing you get. It fades into black and then comes out. So it's like you're getting sneaky little glimpses and the way he shoots it as well. So you're sort of behind either a wall looking through a small window or you're watching them in a mirror or it's just, it's a masterful piece of filmmaking. When I was reading about him and the way that he made the movie based on his memory and his love for 1960s Hong Kong, this is when I realized I know this man made this movie about a love story, but it wasn't even a love story of a woman that he knew once or a love story about a couple that he knew. It was his love story to the city. So yeah. he just made these two characters as if out of his own love for the city. And this is why I knew the film stood out because it was so much filled with emotion and with nostalgia, just not for a single person, but for a state of being. Yeah. And this is where you could feel it lurking in between all the hallways, through the walls, behind windows, behind curtains, just watching people because he was watching the city using these two people just, you know, as a metaphor or as a way to express his love for something that was gone and will never come back. He will yeah. never have 1960s Hong Kong. No. I say, I mean, he makes it look stunning as well. I've never been to Hong Kong now, let alone in the 60s. But I love the idea of just, you know, going down some seedy looking steps and there's a great noodle place. <laughs> and then da, 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 and you feel the theme just walking and just a stupid mundane act like going to buy noodles feels like something heroic and poetic. Yeah, it's I, I love the music in this film. The score is great. I, I bought what? the soundtrack. Um, not long after I watched the film. Actually, no, it was probably a couple of years after because I didn't realise you could actually buy it. Because it was sort of when I was getting into world cinema, so I didn't realise. And I was still going to shops rather than searching around on the internet for them. And yeah. I just saw it in a shop and I was like, God, buy that. If nothing else, for that one piece of music that you shared earlier yes. on Twitter, it's a gorgeous yes. piece of music. It um, just tells the life, you know, it it kind of like follows you. Yeah. It follows you. It's I mean, it fits it so well. This is such a great portrayal of two lonely people. He's the sort best of... when it comes to loneliness. Yeah. He just knows how to make loneliness a character. You know, it's just, it's not about lonely lives. You know, you've seen a lot of movies about lonely people, like Lost in Translation. I, for me, Moonlight, of course, by Barry Jenkins. But they've been influenced by him. But him, to him, loneliness is a breath, is the step itself, the way the dress forms over her body. I don't know. This man does something that no one else does, probably because he just does it stir of the moment too. It's not a calculated film. Yeah. It's more of an improvisation, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's one of the things like I wrote down so many shots, like the shot of them walking down the street away from the camera when she says, I wonder how it began when they first. I love that you don't actually see their spouses. Because they don't matter. Who cares? It, what matters is how they perceive their spaces. I love all the different bits of role playing. Me um, too. Me too. And the little bits of misdirection you get, like when she asks him if he's got a mistress, and at first you think she's talking to her husband, then you realize she's talking to a child, but then you think, 
is she asking him? And then you realise it's them role-playing again, or they call it rehearsals, don't they? Exactly. Um, and you know what's gorgeous too, Stuart? The idea that he's focusing on these two people being cheated on. Like, usually you get the suspense of the affair, the people who are doing the cheating, and it's just these poor people, even role-playing an act or a movie in which they were just side characters. They were reciprocating what happened to them. They couldn't even manifest their lust or their affection for each other. So he's like playing us these underdogs and yet we're rooting for them and we're following them around as if the own heroes of the story, the ones doing the affair, they don't matter in this yeah. one car universe. It's this Mr. Chow. And That's Chow. it. I think it was Roger Ebert in his review said that, you know, we've seen adulterous couples before. It's boring. We've seen it. It's played out. It's like what's great about this couple is that they want to be adulterous, but they don't want to be. They'd be. They know that they'd be no better, so they sort of made this agreement that neither one thinks the other one wants to break. Um, but I love his line about um, when she says, "I didn't think you'd fall in love with me." He was like, "Nor did I," but I re I just wanted to know how it started. Um, I know. Feelings just creep up like that. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and I love the uh, you know. I thought we wouldn't be like them, but I was wrong just it's so beautifully done it's and it's the little so the little snippets of title card things that come up i mean i love the one sort of towards the end which i wrote down with the uh that era is gone nothing that belongs to it exists anymore totally. like, i love especially that 2046 is about the sequel is about nostalgia and all that. I don't know whether you've seen yeah. 2046. Um, obviously, I like to, to talk a little bit about sequels sort of towards the end. Um, but yeah, it's um because I, I always forget that his hotel room is 2046. Yeah. Or the room where he's writing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just something about how, because they're surrounded by like, adultery she's all constantly covering for her boss who's being adulterous his best friends likes to sleep around and go to the exactly. whorehouse <laughs> i do like the what can you get for two dollars in the hall <laughs> yes yeah, so awesome it's like, i get a line of credit there <laughs> <laughs> i mean you would think that these two people they're like what we would call the good guys the people who just who live a normal life insignificant even there's nothing going on about them but he just makes it so interesting to be there watching them yeah. being you know like the normal people around, everybody around is just having fun going around sleeping around just cheating on whatever but these two people are just going on with their small lives and yet they have this bigger fantasy in their heads they cannot even consummate it together yeah. or maybe they did or maybe they didn't there's this mystery, but they're holding it back so much that it makes you feel, wow, like for me, because, you know, this is a small community and people, a lot of people are conservative here. So you start feeling very related to these other than movies where just, you know, like the characters go wild and just go around on sex rampages and stuff. And you feel like, yeah, maybe this is a fantasy that I would like to see manifested on the screen. But these characters... You could have seen them in real life together, like real life next to you. They could be neighbors. They could be family. They could be normal people whom you can see feeling like their features are just normal. They look normal. They act normal. But yet they have this very, very rich fantasy going 
on yeah. either between them or even deep inside them so it's as if he got us into their psyches and this is i think what the magic of the movie is about yeah because i love that you don't know whether like when he tries to hold a hand in the taxi cab you don't know if that's role play or if that's him genuinely trying to show affection towards her um there's there's some bits that it becomes clear that they're doing their rehearsals kind of thing but um there's other bits where you're like is this them is this i mean i think the most pure thing between them is when they start writing the um samurai um stories serial stories um the martial arts serial stories sorry um I love that stuff between them. I love that they're separate doing it and then they come together. And I love that they get trapped in the room and she's scared to leave because she doesn't want people to think they're having an affair. Exactly. And uh, just the... uh... This one was just so intense. And you could feel it because it's the intensity of the regular average people, you know? It's not the intensity of the movie characters, you know what I mean? Yeah. It makes it more magical to me because... How could he have made this magic out of two people living a small life, working normal jobs, just going on their most exciting adventure is just meeting each other in a restaurant or just going to the noodle shop to buy noodles. Yeah, and it, running each other, running into each other on the street. Or... Almost Hitchcockian, you know, like the way the camera just moves and lurks and spies on them. And you're the voyeur too. You feel yeah. as if you're doing something that you shouldn't. I shouldn't be spying on these two people. Just let them be in their fantasy. But I just want to see more and more. And I want to know more. But they don't want me to know more. As if they are withholding stuff from me. Yeah. I mean, I like I say, I love the quiet stuff between them when they're not talking. I mean, I love when they're first having the conversation. He's asking her about the bag. She's asking him about the tie. And they both know what they're asking. But they're not revealing it. And there's so much said in that without actually saying it. Um, I mean, it's, it's strange in some ways because it's a foreign language film so you i mean i always have to watch foreign language films twice once to read the subtitles and then once to actually take in the film um because i can't I, there isn't an english dub of this anyway but i can't get on with english dubs i'm just like me too weird. i can't stand dubs like, yeah usually because they either have a really long word for a short word so somebody just goes and and then the mouth keeps going for you. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh and i just the mood is gone I don't mind it in like those cheesy seventies dub samurai films because it's yeah. the sixties ones. That's kind of the stuff that like they riff in Wayne's World two and that. And so, there were, I don't know, the Bruce Lee stuff ones too. They were like awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you can watch them. I love. I love it's just the weird charm of it. I think with those, but yeah. it, it wouldn't work with this. No, <laughs> please leave me. I, like, I thought we were better, but his mouth's still going for another three few seconds. <laughs> weird. <laughs> Of crash zooms in this. <laughs> it's great, and um, I mean, I think Lost in Translation owes a lot to this film, whether they admit it or not. It's um, Definitely. I mean, Lost in Translation's a bit more upbeat about it, <laughs> which is so American. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I think Roger you says you could see this film being remade with Meg Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. It's like, but they'd have to put a happy ending on it. And um, yeah, they would. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like Lost in Translation is just a moment captured from it. Same goes for, although I love Moonlight, but I, I feel like Moonlight also owes a lot to this movie, especially the diner scene. Yeah. You've seen I mean, Exactly. It feels like even the tension, the way, the interaction, the shots and the stuff. But you feel like the American element seeping in. You know, yeah. where there's a dramatic pause, a sigh, something. But here, 
nothing. You can just feel people kind of like drinking tea normally. Kind of, you can see them just cutting the steak. It's, it's oh, that so whole amazing. scene where they're eating what their partners would eat, and when yes. he puts like the mustard on for a steak. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not eating that shit. <laughs> and it's just, it's crazy because sometimes I feel like I could have been bored. You know, I could have just felt okay. I'll continue again. Yeah, maybe not now. Maybe I'll not continue this movie till the end because I'm not even, you know, like a cinephile. Like, could watch a four-hour movie of pure poetry. There has to be something in it for me, and there yeah. is something here. I, th I think the length is a lot to do with that. I think if this film had been. As much as I could watch more of it, I think if it had been like two hours, two and a half hours long, it would have worn thin quite quickly. I think because it's that tight hour and a half, which it feels longer than an hour and a half, but in a good way. Because I think just because you've got so many sort of meditative dreamlike moments, like say them passing on the stairs and just the way he looks at her when she's leaning against the wall. And um, the slow motions. The slow yeah. motions are made to make you feel moments when the time just stops still there's strange slow motion as well because they're sort of jittery in places as well it's not like a classic slow motion sort of thing no. it goes a bit weird and jumpy and because the first time i watched it i was like my disc is fucked <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no no that's how it was meant to be it's fine <laughs> oh something must have happened no 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 this is this is the real thing and you know i don't know it just feels like he's slaughtering movie time he's just playing he's so badass that he's just improvising with the idea of movie time you know like yeah. a slow motion here whoa seriously but it works man you're a genius and all, the, all the focus is on like the big clock face and that so it's like you know, he's making you aware of time without yeah <laughs> yeah of... that's what i feel like you know he's staring you in the eye and yeah. he's telling you i'm playing with you haha and you're like oof man that's it i mean that's he's so good at that it's like um Again, I mentioned it before, Chunking Express. He's very good with that sort of thing. Now, that one's a bit more linear than this one. Not that this one isn't linear, but it's sort of how you just drift in and out of moments in this. Um, I Again, just, I love that Sue is complicit in a boss's affair and that she'll cover for him. Yes. And it's just such a weird juxtaposition. And the way that Chow is also happy to go along with his friend's lifestyle, even though he doesn't approve of it. Um but then there's just these two really lonely people looking to make a connection kind of thing. Um, exactly. I love as well that we don't find out how the affair started and, because none of that matters again. But I, I feel like a Hollywood film would be like, no, we'd have to establish. You'd have to have There's the confrontation. The yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. This is what I'm telling you. Ugh, please. <laughs> I, mean, I, feel, yeah. I don't mind that if it serves the film, but I just... It wouldn't serve this film at all because it's not about that. It's just, I don't know. There are these Hollywood films, which I would love. Seriously, even if they're doing the classic thing. I'm, I'm all in it for it, guys. But this movie is just, it has its own logic for yeah. some reason. And it works. You know, like maybe in another movie with another director, it wouldn't work. But here it works. And this is the magic of it. This is just the beauty of the whole thing. Yeah. It's just taking you on this ride where you're in long carway land and you're playing by his rules. It's like his own roller coaster and you're just going round and round and round. And when it's over, you're like, seriously, it's gone. That's the end. I don't. This is what happened to me. Like, wow why i need more i need to talk to this guy yeah. and then for some reason now that i'm 
I watched this movie like years ago. So now that I've grown older and wiser and blah, blah, blah. And now I know if I met him, he might not say anything to me because usually when you just want to go and see your idols and you just want to tell them something, they might even look you in there and you're like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and you'd be like really disappointed. But at the same time, now I appreciate that maybe they don't have anything to say about anything. And this is the beauty of how these creative minds work. I see. It's one of those things that as much as I'd, there's stuff I'd like to know, I don't think I want to know at the same time. I think it'd be one of those, it doesn't live up to what I potentially thought in my head kind of thing. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. It, but I mean, it's, Crazy it's, all, it's, it's a weird film to try and talk about because in some ways <laughs> not a lot happens. And it's it's like so much happens, but not in a way you can talk about it. So it's like not a lot happens. And there's you know nothing... There's no sort of linear structure to it because of where you sort of drift in and out of things. It's really difficult to be kind of like, but it is, I mean, it's a film. You, I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, it's probably they not. They might think we're two crazy people. <laughs> I feel like people would be like, what are they talking about? What, what does this even mean? But I don't know. I feel like real art or true art or art that attracts me, at least. I'm not saying anything else is not true because I know people like to attack what I love about art is the way it moves you. You know, it just makes you feel. And there is no reason for it. Sometimes there is a valid reason for it. You can say, yes, this movie was amazing. You know, like on the waterfront. Oh, gosh. 12 Angry Men. Look at this script. Look at this directing style. And then there, of Godfather, of course, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. But then there are movies that just make you feel intensely and you cannot put your hands on one single thing. I think because just... there's, nothing, there's nothing showy in it. The, both their performances are very restrained. Um, for all the visual style of Wong Kar Wai and his cinematographer and that, it's not, that's it. it's not flashy in a in-your-face kind of way. It's flashy in a way that suits the film and you just sort of helps you sink into that world. Um it's a, it's one of those films that you could watch without the sound on, just like you know, get lost in it. Either make up your own story to what's going on, um, which I mean is commendable in itself, kind of thing. It's it's gorgeous, but I mean, you want the sound for the music because the music's great. I love, like, say the score, and I love the use of sixties easy listening kind of music. Um. Sort of adds a f weird sort of European, and it was partly a French production as well, wasn't it? Um, a weird European Americana feel to it as well, which I suppose those influences even in the 60s would have spread. But imagine being in Cannes Film Festival and watching this for the first time. Like <laughs> for me, this would have been a moment I would have loved to just get transported. And be there, be a critic feeling, you know, like snobbish and stuff and just watching this come on the screen and, and feeling shaken to the core and just unable to see what I'm seeing. Is this real? Are they serious? Wow, who is this guy? And I'd go and seek him and look for him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think this is the one that sort of put him on the map. Admittedly, it wasn't until 2046. I can't remember whether it was this film or 2046 that when the first reel was showing at Cannes, he was racing across to get the second reel there. Or the final reel there in time for it to that's how close to it he was editing. 
think I, I think this one. He, I think yeah. he was talking about this one. Yeah, it was racing. Except I read about I, this I one. I read about on twenty forty six because I didn't want to watch yes. twenty forty six. I didn't want to then get the two films mixed up. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm talking about a film, I can't watch anything else until I talked about the film. Otherwise, part way through, I'm going to be like, "What about that bit where he pulls out the knife?" Is like, that was Crocodile and D one? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's. I mean, I love the little. I, it's just the little discussions they have. They're not long in depth. I love the little thing about um, the dreams he had before marriage, where he wanted to write martial arts serials, but then he got married, and you just sort of give that stuff up. Yes, and... very relatable. This is why I'm telling you, it's so relatable. It's so relatable. It just feels like these are people I might have met, but they wouldn't show me the side of theirs. Yeah. I would see her as the secretary. I would see him in his office. I would see them with their spouses just from the back. But I wouldn't know they had this rich life, this fantasy deep down. So this is what makes it magic because every time I would go like, walk the streets or just go to a restaurant and I'd be like, wow, these people look so normal. Yeah. I wonder who's hiding what. And I think <laughs> I tried to tackle this in my first novel, but it was in Arabic. I think I wanted to make a very normal guy, a very regular Egyptian guy who had a secret life, but not, you know, like a spy life. It was just, he was a cross dresser. And yeah. I, I wanted to give him this. I wanted to make him so normal that he would have a, a very rich secret life for his own pleasure just for his own consumption so this movie gives me the same vibes that's it i love as well that they're surrounded by all these really nice outgoing people in that own the places that they rent in the rooms but they prefer to i can relate to it very much i'm very much a introvert so i can relate to just wanting to go and be in your room and me too <laughs> go, yeah, go out and get some food and just sit in your room and work on your samurai uh, your martial arts cereals or Go to the cinema. Whether she actually goes to the cinema, we never actually see her go and see a film. But you never know. Maybe she didn't. Maybe that she that used to be my single life. Is I'd go and watch a film and by myself. I love it. I don't need yeah. people in the cinema. <laughs> uh, me too. Oh, I take it after my dad actually. But I used to do this a lot. I also used to go to the beach a lot because I would be going out with people and they'd be like, "Oh, we're in the cafe, blah blah," and I'd be like, "Yeah, oh, sorry guys, I have to go," and I just go and stay by the beach for an hour or two just watching the waves wondering what to do i'm an yeah. introvert too yeah i've been notorious for leaving like group gatherings and my friends be like where yeah. where are you we're looking for you like, yeah i went home, <laughs> I went yeah, home they're like two hours ago <laughs> my sister's like yeah yeah it's just dry land yeah she left she left guys just chill <laughs> especially as i don't drink as well so <laughs> this this is, you, you reach a certain point in the night where you're like these are no longer my people <laughs> It's better to just go. Yeah, just uh, disappear. You're like, ah, and then you're gone, you know? Uh, uh, yeah, like I said, I relate to that in these guys. I relate to him like being alone in the office, her being alone in the office as well, just quietly wanting to get on with your work and get your day done. <laughs> uh, office uh, mingling was never my thing. And socializing in the workplace, which is why probably I've spent most of my life as a freelancer. Yeah. I couldn't say like I would tell myself like wow nine hours why can't we just get the work done and just deliver it and go and people are like work doesn't work that way no for me no I worked in retail most of my life so I had to mingle and I like mingling with customers because it's a short period of time generally um now I'm a postie so we work in the office together and then I go out by myself and I love it I love just I I have to share a van sometimes uh, but then we, we go off and go our separate ways as well for 
So it's just nice. <laughs> I can be my own head. I can. I don't know, but I think they have more expectations for women. I think like you're a woman, you should be really happy to talk to people. <laughs> no, actually, I don't really like talking, except if it's like a talk about movies and stuff, or where you can get to be a geek or talk about music. Of course, because yeah. I love jazz music, and I could talk all the time about jazz music, and people would be like, "No, they want to gossip." And I'm, I don't know, guys. Mm-hmm. Bye, you're a girl. You know, I'm just, I don't want to talk. Can I be silent? Yeah, I mean, I'm the same movies I can talk about. Like certain music I can talk about. Um, <laughs> comic books I can talk about. Um, ah, and, and generally well. hold my own, but... <laughs> or discover things I didn't know. That's the other thing I like about talking to people is that they'll have a take on something that I didn't know. Me too. Or, or hadn't <laughs> considered. And it's like, oh, I've learned something yeah. from this conversation as well. You probably sound like a dumbass, but (laughs) (laughs) for me, I would talk to you know, like I would talk to people with different profess, but I wouldn't do the small talk, you know, like the daily talk. Like, how are you, Jalen? Fine. Yeah. What have you been doing yesterday? Nothing. Oh, (laughs) so what are you gonna do today? I don't know. I I always have these short answers, and it just (laughs) pisses people off. Like, what did you do at the event yesterday? And nothing, because my sister is like an influencer and a food blogger, and she takes me along to many events and stuff. And I would go to a, an event or a place and I would like it, but I don't want to talk about why I liked it. And people would be like, ah, what happened yesterday? Yeah, we went. <laughs> Doing what? This. I I can't do small talk. I would do this lengthy talk. Like yeah. I would talk about a movie for two hours, but I wouldn't talk to you about like what I ate yesterday and what we did at the cafe. Why? Yeah. Because usually I would sit silent and just, drink or just i, I tend to find you learn more about people by talking about something specific so like talking about this film it's the thing with this podcast is that we have a film at the center point but then we go off on so many different tangents about you know it reminds me of this time i did this or it reminds me of when i watched it and this happened or <laughs> i broke up with my boyfriend <laughs> because i knew when he told me he hated it no man i don't think this will work <laughs> See, I love that. I love having that film that you're like, you know, I love this film. I'm going to put it on. And then if the person's like, what's a bag of shit? You're like, yeah, we've got no future. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're going to make it. I just, I don't know. I think there are small things that tell you if this person is going to be your longtime friend or or lover or whatever, or no, it's going to end. I think I remember I was taking care of this cat and I was with another boyfriend and he was like, what are you doing? doing stop it people are looking at you and i knew you're not an animal lover and i'm always so confrontational in my 20s i was like you're not an animal lover you should take care of animals and he just thought oh gosh she's crazy (laughs) and i knew then i don't think this is gonna work man (laughs) sorry you should take care of the cat with me i I don't even expect the person to like love the film just as long as they're like you know yeah i get why you love it though so it's like well you get me then (laughs) exactly it's, yeah this is the thing i know you okay let's say you you love comics okay and i'm not really that big of a comics fan but i understand your passion i might like jazz and you would be like no jazz no not for me sorry dude but you understand my passion there is this invisible thread of understanding but there are moments when you feel like this level of understanding is missing yeah and this is why i think this is what makes certain moments distinctual because we all have these friends who do not share our interest but we share an understanding of that interest and why we have it and why we love it and why we are passionate about something so crazily 
Yeah, it's like I can listen to people talk about stuff that I'm not even remotely interested, like on podcasts. And that, but if they talk about it with a knowledge and a passion for it, yes, I'm I'm all in. And um, I mean, it's a bit like films like this wouldn't necessarily be something I'm interested in. It's just there's something there's a passion from one car way and making it that comes across on the screen. Again, I think if this had been a generic, it's a mandated studio job kind of thing. And, you know, I can enjoy shit films as well. I'm, I'm certainly not a cinema snob. No, I one wish my, I were. One of my favorite all time movies is Footloose, and people look at me like, really? <laughs> it's like, I adore that film. I've loved it since I was a child. I've taken so many crazy fucking risks because, and done like outlandish things because of that film. <laughs> Made me dare to dream. <laughs> Except oh, dancing. Man. I will not fucking dance. <laughs> Whoa, really? I'm, I'm a terrible dancer, but I just dance when it's like when I'm no, out I... with friends and stuff. But I'm terrible, of course. At it. <laughs> I'm not. I do not have anything physical in, in my head like... in private. I'm like Kevin Bacon. Oh, doing in my head, I'm I'm amazing. I'm it's amazing. like when I run. When I run in my head, I'm like David Hasselhoff running along the beach in the opening credits of Baywatch. But in actuality, I'm like probably you know, yeah, <laughs> look more like, like one I of those want... windy things in a tunnel. <laughs> It reminds me, to, oh my gosh, you remind me when I was, I wanted to be a singer for a long time in my life. And I would just go and audition to these local rock bands and stuff. And I thought I had a good voice, you know, I, my voice is not terrible. But when I went to the audition, I was like, yeah, come on, Lana Del Rey, get out. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and they were like, I, I don't think they were nice people too. And they were just like sitting there, rock guys, you know, rockers with long hair and stuff. And they're like, yeah. So you're done, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna sing my Immortal by Evanescence, and I'm like, it just came out terrible, and I stopped dreaming to be a singer afterward. I mean, yeah, you just gotta do what makes you happy, man. Yeah, <laughs> like... uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll just have this, you know, I'll get all the writers oh. that I know, and we'll make this band of non-cool singers. <laughs> Just do it. I mean, like I say, if it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt anybody else, then... Yeah, exactly. It's like... yeah. Go, Jay. Come on. The next will be my album. <laughs> and we'll be discussing it here on your podcast. <laughs> Expect a YouTube clip to have dropped by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, until you try these things, you don't know either. It's, sometimes you need somebody to be kind of like, you know, yeah, it's not how you think it sounds yes, it <laughs> kind of thing. or you know it's not as good as you think it is or whatever i mean we've all done it i've multiple different things i've attempted in life that i've been like i could do that it's like, actually no it's harder than i thought it was <laughs> making a film for example <laughs> oh but i had an i had an amazing experience doing it so you made a film yeah um Ooh. 2004 so we're coming up on nearly 20 years but it was great it was an amazing experience doing it but in retrospect i was 20 something and stupid so yeah i know what you mean. <laughs> but i mean like i say it was an amazing experience it was me and some friends and then we brought in some people we didn't know auditioned for parts and we just became this little group and for six months we rehearsed solidly and then we shot for a month and, yeah, and it was amazing i was happier than i'd ever been to the point where i then realized that i was actually deeply depressed in that <laughs> Oh, but um, yeah. took a long time to recover from it. But you know, 
shits and giggles. <laughs> no, but I mean, I love this so much. I made a, I think I made a short movie with my boyfriend then. And it was weird when it came. I was so happy making this movie about depression. <laughs> and I think people, everybody I showed it to, it was like, I don't know what you're getting at, Jay. But it's good to try. And I participated in a friend's short movie too. But I think anytime when I'm, when I have the chance, I would participate, of course, in the film yeah. later on, of course. When I find, of course, the group of people who would love to collaborate with me artistically. But I'm just, I'm in for any artistic experiences as long as people are welcoming my input. But but I just don't hold myself back. I'm in for anything. Yeah. I mean, my approach to life. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm far too self-conscious to do some things, but I'm willing to try most things. Just for the experience. Yes, <laughs> it's like it's a money count by experience. So it's like, you know, who cares if it's not like, you know, yeah, they can suck it, you know, if, if we're not Spielberg or whatever. <laughs> no, I don't want to be it's living a life. It's doing something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's not just sitting in your room eating noodles. <laughs> exactly. Like this two poor bastards. Oh, I love them. <laughs> <though>. <laughs> See how I expertly came back to the film. See, I've been doing this long enough. <laughs> but it is, it's, I love the scenes of them getting to know each other. Like I say, it's just these two lonely people sort of with a blossoming friendship relationship who are trapped in a life, a lonely life through circumstances that they're not in control of kind of thing. Because it's their partners that sort of put them in this position. Because um, they seem, particularly her with her husband, even though you never see him, they seem happy. Although I do like when there you see his back sat at the table in the room, and then somebody else comes in, so and sits next to him. So his um, Sue leaves the room, and then Chow leaves the room as well. And it's I don't know. It's a weird little moment that sort of tells you that they're not the important things in their partner's lives anymore at all. At all, they're being sidekick. They're being like yeah. sidetracked. They're and going to the fringes of their relationship. That's it, and it's sort of forcing them together. And and I love later on. I love that we get sort of the time jumps later on, sort of like multiple brief epilogue kind of thing. I love that they were. I mean, it, I it's it. heartbreaking at the same time, but they were within the vicinity of each other. You know, the neighbors had moved out. It was a woman and her son. And, you know, it was her and he didn't even know when he was there. Um, and I love the nosy neighbors, too. I love the whole idea of living in this apartment where we're all together. Yeah. But we're in this single room. This single room contains everything. And I read that I think Christopher Doyle, the cinematographer, was like, the Western idea of privacy is not what we have in Hong Kong. So you could feel like it's normal that they're like, oh, you're going out again. Really? You're not joining us. Where is your husband? where you feel like their lives are just so pushed to the corner and they cannot even they cannot even practice this private moment without having feeling that they're being watched yeah it's so yeah that's i mean that's what ends them up trapped in the room isn't it when they're like this is ridiculous we're not even doing anything wrong at all and yet they feel it they feel the weight of it even looks at, and we're like we're like participants yeah. watching them we're participants in being just forcing ourselves into their private moments and i think that he just made us part of the film willing or not 
Yeah, I mean, I love in that scene where he tells her to sleep, he's going to work on the cereal and he uses the mirror in, um, on the one side of the room and then sort of pans across and uses the mirror on that side of the room. We don't, it draws your focus to them and reflecting the mirror rather than what the, is in the main frame of the thing. Um, like I said, I love how he uses mirrors, reflections. Um, I love how like he the uses... water on the street and the reflections exactly. in that. And all the, the corridors, all the, you know, the narrow spaces, even in open streets, he's just like forcing them to walk through somewhere where we can see them through slits. It's as if every single frame, they're shrunk or they're pressured into it. It's like their lives are small. Their fantasy is being compressed yeah. to be smaller than they could have even imagined. All these narrow corridors and hallways and, and rooms, even her dresses are so tight yeah you could feel her even having to appear a certain a certain way you know like her hair is quaffed i always watch you know like female characters in movies and just focus on the way they carry themselves how they make them and you could feel like how a character is made to look so loose and so outgoing and how a character just has to be this woman this lady and she has to keep up that appearance all the time and you can feel the pressure of it Probably because I know what it's like and it's so hard. Well, I see it because even one of the women in the house says that, you know, she who dresses like that to go and get noodles. Exactly. <laughs> sort of As if implying that they think something's going on anyway, but it's just she so how beautiful? she is. Exactly. It's, I mean, she is stunning in this, not to, I mean, they're both stunning. I mean, he is a man. He's so handsome. Damn him. Um, he, he wears that suit really well. She looks great in those dresses. Just, I love that shot that was the poster on, or is on certain posters. Um, I think. Have you seen um, Everything Everywhere All at Once? Yes. The bits in that that have heavily, clearly, heavily influenced the um, where she's the actress, and it's after the premiere, and she's walked out, and then he's gone out, yeah. and it's like I was like, that's fucking in the mood for love. Yeah, I mean, the mood for in the mood for love is influencing a lot of movies. I can tell you. You can it's feel beautifully it. recreated in that as well. It's I love this movie too. Stunning. It's but yeah, I mean, like I say, they look great. They look he looks sharp. He makes smoking look cool. I'm not a smoker at all, but even though I'm not, like too. a broody smoker. Um, used to in the past, but now I stopped because my lungs really hurt. Yeah. So I don't need that added to my crap. <laughs> Please. <laughs> no. And I love when he invites to the hotel room and you're not sure whether, because you see her go up and down the stairs multiple times, but the way it's cut, you don't know whether it's that's how many times she's been and gone. That's her going up, losing a bottle, coming back. It's done in such an ambiguous way that you could read it either way. And obviously when she finally goes there, he's like, I wasn't sure you'd come. And he's kind of like, it's because the times, and again, you're not kind of like, is this more rehearsal? Is this them? It's... He doesn't want you to be sure of anything. And you know what is even, was the beauty starts from what I remember when I, I watched this movie years later with my sister. And I think the first remark that she told me was like, how can you be in the mood for love? Is there a mood for love? And this kind of hit me. Like, is there a mood where I want to fall in love? It's even in the mood for love. Like, now I'm gonna, I feel like I would love now. And, and you just feel like there's nothing that you're certain of. Not even the name of them. We're not even the title. Yeah. It's, it's he's so good at playing ambiguity, and it's just like you can feel that he's doing it on purpose. 
but he's making it so smoothly. So you just go with the flow and you, you let him trick you into watching this whole movie on stand, just yeah. mesmerized. Was it? I mean, you could kind of read it as a spoiler and these two people that don't intend to fall in love eventually end up in the mood for love kind of thing. But I, he's not that literal for it to... I think he just liked the song title. <laughs> this is the thing. I don't know. It's just, for me, it's it's good because you just fall in love. You don't You don't do it on purpose. But there is a mood for it. There is a time for it. There is a setting where it just sets you into love as if, you know, like they're mutual state of having been cheated on at the same yeah. time with this loneliness that they both suffer from and their small lives is making a mood where these two characters are going to fall in love so it's in the mood for so for me it's just yeah I don't, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it there's a steve martin film called la story but there's a bit in it where he says why is it we never recognize the moment we fall in love but we recognize the exact moment it ends like yeah. i, I kind of think that ambiguous moment is the in the mood for love moment yeah because again um but again like i say you don't, the bit where they're role-playing her asking if she's got a mistress the look on her face when it freezes on her after they've done it the second time and it just holds on her and it's fucking heartbreaking more so than when she's crying in the um alleyway when she said she didn't realize it'd be this hard but just that look on her face is like shit. <laughs> Oof, you can feel it. Yeah, her eyes, and the way. What I love about her is, too, there are all kinds of actors, and you can fall in love with a lot of them. But the way she just keeps the the same characteristic of this woman. This woman is always going to be this pride woman, always not showing her real character, her real emotions. So even when she's hurt, you can feel the eyes filled yeah. with tears, just the looks hardening. It's even more powerful than the moments when she kind of like breaks down, just like you said. The way her face just for a glance shows you what really goes on inside her. You're like, damn woman. That's it. I think it's because, I mean, once she cries, that sort of her breaking kind of thing. I mean, I think that's sort of the culmination of the relationship. In some ways, the film could have ended there. Yeah. Um, as much as I like the extra stuff, sometimes it, it does feel a little bit like an add-on that you don't necessarily like the 17 endings to the last Lord of the Rings film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not as long and better. It's nothing against those. They're fine. Um <laughs> But yeah, it kind of feels like that's the culmination of the relationship is her, him comforting her and he's just got that dead look on his face while she's crying on his shoulder. Um, but I think, yeah, because she's hiding it and I love the little things like his friend bringing him the sesame. So she makes sesame syrup and then plays it off like she was just in the mood for it. Yes. Kind of thing, which is, you know, the... <laughs> I love the little details. This movie is so rich in details. You're right. It's, it's those little things where somebody you fancied mentions in passing that they like something, and then next time you see them, you've got a book. <laughs> exactly. This is the thing. It's like, you know, they're like, oh, I love Stephen King. Like, oh, okay. Stephen King book. <laughs> exactly. This <laughs> is the thing. Just yeah. those little things to have those moments, <laughs> those conversations. It's yes because again i suppose you know they're stealing the moments kind of thing as well totally because um, it's, it's never clear how long this happens is this just from the one trip away is this multiple things broken up over time it's 
it's just a walk down the hallway or at least, you know, like a trip to the noodle shop. For me, it's just, it's that distance, that time. It could have been the whole length of the fair or the yeah. relationship or the fantasy or whatever you could like to call it. It's the glimpses, the, like I say, the, the grabbed moments. It's just, I say, it's, it's lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not really, <laughs> it's difficult really to talk about anything else kind of thing. Um, obviously, this film did have a sequel, which was 2046, or a quasi-sequel. He plays the same character, and Sue appears in glimpses kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's very much his own beast. And this was a spiritual sequel to Days of Being Wild, I want to say. I think. But th nice. again, there's no character carryover from that. I think it is just a spiritual sequel. I think they're a loosely formed it's trilogy. A, yeah, it's a weird trilogy of sorts. Um, trilogy of loneliness, I think. Yeah. Not just the characters and stuff, yeah. Yeah, because very much in 2046, he's become a Lothario. He's basically become his friend sort of thing, but, you know. Yeah. A bit more. I mean, I like 2046. 2046 is stunning to look at. Just yeah, for me it likes the soul. I don't know. Yeah, it's he doesn't feel like the same character. Mm -mm. I I know we change after heartbreak, <laughs> bad relationships, whatever kind of thing. But it just I don't know. It's not how I wanted to see him. Um, no. Like I say, I don't. I think this. I was happy with where we were. It wasn't a happy ending. I I don't think I needed a sequel to heap on the misery. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I don't think this ha would have ever had a happy ending. Never. These two characters were not meant for happiness, whatever this yeah. means. These two people were not meant they're, for happiness. Their moral code. Yeah. I mean, in some happy ways, she endings. had a happy ending. She had a child. And she looked happy with the child. Yeah. I like that, you know, it's not clear whose child that is. Because there's no implication that she's still with her husband. or Exactly. But still, you know, like this story... Would never have a happy end. These people will never take it to the to a step where it makes them fully satisfied or just find a resolution of sorts. Never, not this kind of story. No, this I, I think they need the role play rehearsal element of it. I Definitely think that is a huge part of their relationship. Um, the reality would just kill it. I love that he whispers into the thing and then walks away, and then you see it stuffed with the mud. And what, do you know, what does he say? <laughs> thinking. What could he have said? Maybe something wild. The child is mine. The child. Yeah. Is mine. You never know. You never know. You never know. Well, it is the secret that they did consummate the relationship. This is what you think. Because he's, he's whispering a secret because they set it up, don't they? With the, you know, people who used to have a secret did this kind he's of thing. But. Again, I love that. It's like the Lost in Translation thing. I don't ever want to know what he whispers in her ear. I don't. I don't think anybody knows. I don't even think the writer knows. No. Because not even Sofia Coppola for me. I don't think she. I don't even know anybody. No, I don't know. I don't. I think Bill Murray just mumbled something. In I think he just made some it. stuff up. Yeah. Because I think some people have like isolated the sound and done all. It's like no, why? Come on, guys, why? No. But then we live in that age magic. of overanalyzing everything. So. Yeah. 
oh, he just looked, this means that he has this empirical glance of blah, blah. And you feel sometimes, yeah, some things make sense and some things are just so cool. And some things are just over the top, guys. Come on. He just looked into the camera stupidly, probably because he's just a crazy actor. In many ways, the internet's the worst thing that happened to film. You can't really go into, like, admittedly, it doesn't happen with films like this so much, but certainly, like, your Marvel movies and that. By the time they come out, the trailer's been so overanalyzed that you just kind of... And, you know, and they're attacking things even before they are they get to completion, and you feel sometimes like, okay, guys, just let it be, let it be. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. <laughs> By the time the <laughs> film comes out, I'm, like, I'm just bored of it. You, you lost interest, yeah, exactly. You know, okay, this reminds me of this Elvis movie. Okay, when I saw the trailer, I was like, ah, oh, come on, wow, everything just looks so. I don't know. I don't feel it, although I'm a big Elvis fan. Yeah. And then I see the Cannes Film Festival photos, and I'm like, this is the guy who's playing Elvis? No, 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 no. I'm not going to take it. Even in that and first trailer, I was like, you you are going to have a guy who's like Elvis in your Elvis movie, right? Exactly. And then, you know, and even the, the, the candid photos or the just the photo shoot was just so weird. I think the, the journalists were making him nervous or something. And I was like, I don't think this guy is going to be out of us. And then this film critic, he just writes, whatever you do, he's an Egyptian film critic, whatever you do, just get out of your house and go to see Elvis movie before they take it off the Egyptian cinemas. And I go there and I fall in love with it. And I'm sorry with it. And it's, for me, it was amazing. And I just retracted everything I said because I was like, ah, what are you doing? Are you trying to be Elvis too in Cannes Film Festival? Please, I don't buy it. No, I mean, fair play to Anson Butler, who fucking blew my socks off. That film is amazing. I must admit, when I, I watched know. it at home, I didn't enjoy it as much. It's definitely a cinema movie. It has to be. Um, Like I say, at the cinema, I was gripped. I loved it on home, possibly because it was quite soon that it came out after I'd seen it at the cinema as well. So it was kind of like... It... Oh, he was, he was great in it. I never expected it. I mean... When I I never knew him before, and when I saw him on the red carpet photos, I was like, no, 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 why are you with this guy? No, he's not going to be Elvis. Why is he doing these pauses? You know, is he acting like Elvis in real life? And I was so harsh on the guy. But I think, yeah, the photographers were just making him nervous or something. Because when I watched the movie, he was so great. He was so good. He was mesmerizing. Actually. Yeah. Damn, it was a force. Say, it's such a good film. I, in some ways, it suffers from the Tom Hanks. <laughs> Nothing yeah, against Tom yeah. Hanks, but it's just. That felt then him compared comes, to... And then you feel like, yeah, whatever, I have problems with this film, he's just killing it. Yeah. So for yeah, Except, then... that film, even on at home, once it gets to like the 68 comeback and beyond that, that's when that film comes out. Because that's the most exciting part of Elvis's life for me is yeah. the Vegas stuff. That was Elvis in his prime. For me, I love the trouble. Oh no, the trouble uh performance for me was just yeah. so gritty and angry and loved it because i love this i love it it had this rock star vibe and i i love it so much i use yeah. it for inspiration you know like when i have a because i'm kind of an introvert so when i have a book signing or an event or something where i just gotta talk about my books i'm like oh i can't stand people and then i like i'm looking for trouble and i'm like okay i'm going <laughs> jay's gonna give him trouble <laughs> the performance <laughs> stuff is all amazing I just, mm. um, I love how they sort of go through his. We're on a completely different film now, but I love how they go through his Hollywood career yeah. just with the Little Viva Las Vegas, yeah, yeah, out totally. of a sixties movie kind of. It's crazy. I, rush I through he, it. Totally, I don't. I think he holds it up so well. I think if it were a different person than him, maybe I would have had a different opinion. 
about the movie because he was he was a great actor and singer in it too. Yeah. So yeah, kudos to him. But but yeah, I mean, sort of before we move off of in the mood for love, then is there anything else you wanted to say or add? I mean, obviously we're talking about it, so we think people should see it. <laughs> I really I mean, think everybody again, should see it. I, I, Even... I'd like to think if you've got this far, you have seen the film first. Otherwise, you're going to be like, what the? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are these two people talking about? And someone would go and like... It's, it's potentially one of those films that the more we talk about it, the worse it's going to sound as well. But <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, because we're just drifting. I think this is what it's making to us. It's just generating this strange conversation because it's not a movie where you can put your hands on, you know, like the plot is blah, blah, blah. The acting is blah, blah, blah. The score is blah. No. You can't be like, and then this happens, and this happens, and this happens. It's kind of like, this happens, and then we sort of and drift they, to black. Yeah, and then... <laughs> then we and the of... master scene, there is no master scene for me. No. Oh, the more better. The confrontation scene where people are like spinning in each other's faces, or just you know, this steamy scene where they're just kissing. There's none of this. No, it's flows and it's crazy. It's, it's it is, it's a meditative study of character. It's, I know that sounds like wanky film studies bullshit. <laughs> it genuinely is. It's. <laughs> It's, it's, but it works, guys. It works on screen, I guess. It does, because, I mean, in places it's very repetitive in that it's a lot of, you know, her saying she can't come home from the um, wherever it is she works. Um, as in Chow's wife. I love those shots. The colour framing, how we sort of see through the circle window. We never see her properly because she's behind the counter. It's... Like I say, I love that we never see the, them kept those characters properly. It's like they're important to set it up, but then they do not matter at all. In the story, they don't matter in the story. It's it's not. It's because it's how they they matter through them and how they perceive them and play it out, kind of thing. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I recommend people check it, and then I recommend people check out. The other cinema of Wong Kar-wai. The only thing I still haven't seen is my Blueberry Nights. I bought it and I've just never been able to bring myself to watch it. I watched my Blueberry Nights. And didn't the most films I think I liked for Wong Kar-wai, In the Mood for Love, Chunking Express. I think they go side by side for me because yeah. I, I'm obsessed with Chunking Express. All in California Dream. For me, California Dreaming is just her yeah. Faye doing this, being her spiritual self. This actress is amazing i love her i just love watching her her energy just is infectious and then happy forever or happy together, together. happy together is good too and then the others are like just circling yeah around. you got as time goes by yeah yeah there's um, fallen angels days being wild, like fallen angels the this. martial arts when he did these are the like the first the top three for me yeah um, yeah, I don't know why I've never watched my Blueberry Nights. I think a couple of people were like, if you like one car way, it. it's, it's just not watch as it. good. But... It's not as good, but you have to watch. Now that you have analyzed this to the bone, <laughs> you should watch Blueberry Nights. Come no, on, I'm, man. I, I want to go on a one car way kick again now. It's sort of yeah. set my passion up. I'm currently on a Steve Martin kick for something else i got coming up. But I think... Wow, Steve Martin, I love him so much. So do I. I adore Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> Tonally very different to this. <laughs> yeah, different. It was a bit hilarious and lovely. Although I can see Steve Martin doing it. <laughs> he, he does brooding quite well, actually. 
like most comedians, he does that. <laughs> he did a brooded his way through the movie. <laughs> I see him. Even the cans are getting shot behind him. <laughs> this <would be> awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. Then. Well, I like to end these sort of conversations with first times guests with the Bernard Pivo questions from inside the actor's studio if you're up for answering them. It's yes. Ten quick fire questions, so okay. but th- th- it doesn't always work out they're quick fire, so I hope I, I can. I, I like where the answers go, so it's fine. It usually it's complicated. All right, and so question one, what is your favorite word? Thorax. Nice. Not had that one before. Not really. <laughs> I'm, I'm dreading the day that somebody's like lush. I'm like, <laughs> Please, ugh. that word makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. Um, which leads nicely on to what is your least favorite word? <laughs> you know, like prude, condescending, snob. I don't know all the words that make me feel like the person is just looking at me like this. <laughs> I I can visualize the word scribbled yeah. in front of them, and they're like, ugh, I hate the word, and I hate you. <laughs> Uh, what turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, emotionally? What? What? What turns you on, either creatively, on. emotionally, spiritually? However you choose to. You know, like the sea. First of all, because I'm a sea girl, I'm a yeah. I'm a beach girl at heart. The sea, movies, music, jazz, music. Just let that jazz musician improvise in front of me, and I'll be like, and good poetry, too. And I don't know sense beautiful sense, sense that just are sensualizing and stuff like that these just turn me on emotionally and spiritually yeah. spiritually of course open spaces where you can't hear a single soul yeah. just taking all the sounds of the universe take them in yeah that's awesome uh what turns you off mostly married men who hit on single girls over 30 <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> i know i'm single dude but i'm not interested in you Okay, so yeah. Hang on, I just um, need to cross a question off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what sound you, uh... you love? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, what sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise? Hmm. <sighs> Can I just say the sea, the sea, the sea, yeah. and the trumpet? And oh. of course, sometimes. I just love the sounds of nature, you know, like the, the wind and the rustle of the leaves. Yeah. All the weird sounds that you discover when you go out on a hike or you're meditating out in the open air. You just hear sometimes wild sounds and it's <laughs> like an animal or something. And you're like, for people would be like startled. I'd be like, get them in. I'm taking them in. So for me, anything that just takes me out. And of course, good music where you feel like the musician has just been to the point. Yeah. The sea too. Yeah, I can. Yeah, 100% get that. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? You know, this gritting sounds and this rustling and people stomping their feet. And of course, babies crying. Sorry, I'm not a baby person. Like, I'd be like, hey, mom, your baby is awesome. I love him. He's adorable. But can you just take him somewhere where we can just rest single gals? <laughs> I don't think anybody likes baby crying, to be fair. Even yeah. the parents. <laughs> exactly. I, I feel for the parents more. Too. Even the parents are like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Shut up, baby. <laughs> I just want to watch my course, program. <laughs> <laughs> 
and of course anybody who just you know like some singing voices are just not meant for singing yeah so just don't like there are these rockers or these heavy metal people where you feel like the grunge is good but some of them are like ah, and you feel like just shut him up already but i'm an angry woman so maybe it's just me <laughs> All right, then, the big one. What's your favorite curse word? <laughs> Cunt. Fair. <laughs> I'd say it to guys, too, to be yeah. honest. They're like, you're, you're, and they're like, I was just talking to my sister, and I'm like, there are guys who are like, bitch, they're cunts. You know, this is a cunt. I would just tell her about the guy, mostly, because, you know, like, they were like, oh, you guys are, don't act like this. Men don't act like this. And you're like, Dude, you're acting worse than the worst woman I've ever encountered, so just shut it. So, yeah, can't. Huh. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... I mean, it's a great word. I mean, most swear words are great, because, you know, they've got multiple uses, depending on your tone, but that's a particular fuckity one that could just shut something down straight away. For me, like, fucking fuckity fuck, you know, like, stuff like that. Like, we really just pull all the fuck ones out. And you guys have like seriously cool curse words too in British, right? I love them so much. I hear them and I'm like, yeah, these guys are awesome. I'm gonna learn them all, even all the dirty, you know, like weird ones. I'm just gonna have a manual or something. We have weird ones that aren't that bad, but they're just really funny. Like knobhead. Knobhead is a great one. It's, like, it's not knobhead. that bad a swear word, but it's just... what does it mean? You're being a knobhead. It's like it's basically dickhead or. Ooh, or a okay. fuckwit or something like that. It's just that. It's just <laughs> yeah, no bed. No. It's just... <laughs> love it. I'm gonna use it. Just... Give them all to me. I just even to my kids, I'm like, you fucking no bed. <laughs> no bed. How many kids do you have? Two. <laughs> and the ages because uh, ten and thirteen. So I probably shouldn't oh. be calling them no beds, but I've always been <laughs> that. You know, I swear I'm not gonna shy away from swearing around them because. But these are the cool ages. Cool. They should be full formed characters now. And when some well, of them, they're knobheads like, in the best possible way. I love them. If anybody else yeah. calls them a knobhead, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> I'm going to smack them. Yeah, come on. You don't say this <laughs> to my kids. <laughs> it's like they're my knobheads. They're not your knobheads. Not yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Yeah. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? <sighs> I would love to be a singer, honestly. That's just singing with, you know, like my small band. We'd go to just these small gigs and we'd have fun and we'd live on the road all the time. I would love to be this person. Yeah, I think this possibly a Hollywood thing, but the romantic idea of just being a musician. <laughs> like, you'd be like shit with armpit hair and we'd be just kicking each other and not getting paid. And most of us would be like on cocaine by the time. So yeah, I, I tell you, it won't be easy. But the Hollywood version, you like doing cool little jazz clubs. You like Michelle Pfeiffer in Fabulous Baker Boys. Almost famous, you know, like (laughs) Tiny Dancer, Lala. You're like, you're just so happy. And you meet your love on the road. Yeah. I love that movie. So this is my dream profession. And me too. Did you make an episode about it? No, not yet. We haven't done any Cameron Crowe films yet. Come on, I don't I don't like pushing the films I love on people. I'm waiting for people to come to me and be like, have you ever seen Say Anything? Fucking yes, we're doing that. <laughs> come on. We should do like the almost famous, but after my episode comes out and people <laughs> they're not like, oh, don't ever 
camp, Jailen, again. Some people are like, wow, Jailen is just the coolest. We'll be like, let's do our on stream special. <laughs> we'll just wait for the results. Damn. Okay. <laughs> um, what profession would you not like to do? Anything office-based. I don't do offices. I don't do nine to five. I don't do fingerprint in, fingerprint out. I don't do long meetings where people are like, <laughs> and I'm just sitting miserably waiting for my turn to talk and then leave. Yeah. No, I can appreciate that. It sounds like hell. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. gray offices. A bit like and the offices great. in this film. They look great, but at the same time, you can feel the monotony of their day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, this is the thing. Even if they're just so colored and stuff you just feel her standing in front of making coffee or tea and you feel bad for her yeah it's, yeah say so, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm somebody who likes routine but not that much routine i mean i wish i liked routine i envy you because i really hate it i can't i can't deal with routine my head is all over the place my mind is all over the place I, yeah um, i mean when i say like routine i like knowing what i'm going in to do that day if it suddenly changes then my anxiety just kicks off and it's a fucking yeah. nightmare they'll find me crying in the car park or whatever <laughs> yeah so, um, i think all creative people yeah that's it well it's because i know that i can get my day out of the way and i can get back to doing the shit i love <laughs> yeah yeah you're right um all right then if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates you want to see what you're, what it's really like? And he'd be like this. Want to see what it's really like? And be like, yeah, show me. <laughs> like, what it? <laughs> Imagine if it is like a dragon eating you. Be like, okay, let's see the inside of the dragon. Or it's just a dancing plane. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's dance. <laughs> Till eternity. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I don't know, it depends on the claim. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, awesome. So I'll put all the links in the show notes and that, but where can people find you online? What should people be looking out for? That Mostly, sort of thing. I write my poetry on thepros.com. Most of my film criticism is on Synchronized Chaos. Also, they can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, Jailan Salman. This is my name. Um, mostly, this is where I put all my writings, all my talks and stuff just to interact with me just creatively and stuff and read my poetry mostly if they like it just share it awesome cool yeah like i said i'll put all the links in the show notes so i don't know if anybody yeah. ever checked show notes this has been the debate we've been having going on for years of podcasting does anybody ever actually look i, I just, know i just want somebody to message me but after the episode came out i got one new follower i'd be like we did our job okay if i get then i'll tell you wow awesome. okay deal yeah because otherwise i'm like why am i writing these fucking show notes <laughs> <laughs> for writers just to get the word out about them it's <laughs> like desperate for a single reader just to be added to them i'm yeah. i'm always excited when like you know you get the notification of your one new follower or one more I'd person like, to listen to your podcast like, yeah. i'd be like yeah i want to see what it's really like <laughs> Awesome. On that though, then we will do our fake goodbyes now and then carry on talking for a little bit after I press stop. So okay. yeah, no, thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching the film again. So me thank you for too. that. Thank you for having me. Thank no you. No worries at all. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.
That was In the Mood for Love. And why not? I'd like to thank Jailan for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Be sure to check out her writing online. I'll put the links in the show notes. In the Mood for Love is available in the UK second-hand on DVD released by Tartan. It will be released as a Criterion Collection Blu-ray on the 14th of November 2022, uh, next Monday as this episode goes out, or as part of the One Car Wide Collection. It's currently unavailable to stream, however, at the time of this episode recording. We put a shout-out on social media for people's thoughts or memories of seeing the film, and uh, Cinema Frames UK on Instagram said, A masterpiece in mood and atmosphere. Doyle's sumptuous cinematography is as startling as the performances, uh, composition and costume. Maggie Chung was a different costume in every scene. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to your episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating if you have a second or two to spare. I mean, you don't have to, we're just grateful you listen at all. If you've missed any And Why Not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. And if you aren't already, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, or join the And Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will we be kept up to date of what episodes are coming up, and have the chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. In the meantime, we'll be back on the 18th of November for a special episode where I'll be joined by the All-Star Superfan podcast hosts Alan Burke and Rob O'Connor to celebrate 30 years of Superman number 75 by discussing the various depictions of Superman's death on film. But until then, this has been a Nerds Who Haunted Themselves production and I've been Strick Moraine. Thanks for listening and remember, that era has passed. Nothing that belonged to it exists anymore. Bye for now.